Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin keskin Lu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijang, a culture writer and critic. For our first pod of 2021, welcome to the new year, nothing has changed. Um, <laughs> we're, go- we're going to be talking about the buzzy, horny period drama Bridgerton on Netflix and Amazon Prime's latest offering of a young adult mystery, The Wilds. How have you been, Jenny? How was your New Year's Eve? What What are your resolutions? Oh, New Year's resolution. I don't know if I have any this year. Or I want to keep expectations really, really low, like on the ground. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I, I want to continue my Duolingo streak of like, I think I'm on 50 days right now. So if I could keep that Get going, fuck that'd out. be great. Yeah, I'm really like, I'm committed to it. It's a nice, like on the toilet, uh, you know, a couple minutes here and there. Wow. What what language are you going for? I, I've been doing Spanish since um, I went to Mexico City for the first time a couple years ago. And was like, wow, I would really love to learn Spanish now. So I'm yeah. doing Spanish <laughs> and I'm picking up French again after like high school, four years of French. Um, and then I watched Emily in Paris. And unfortunately, oh, yeah. that That'll did push me to be like, okay, let me pick up French again. I might join you in the French thing because I used to be fluent back when I was 18. Oh, really? And then wow. and then I just, I just stopped. And then my brain just went, okay, so I guess we're not doing that now unless i you know unless i'm drunk yeah like very drunk which also never happens um i might join you on that actually oh yeah let's um, do it add, yeah. add me on duolingo yeah man okay so that's, <laughs> i'll see you there <laughs> so that i guess is like my barely there uh new year's resolution to keep doing hey it's the fact that you have one uh, already like you're doing yeah, great sweetheart thank you so much um, what about you um i'm gonna get back into yoga mm. Okay. I was doing a lot of it at the beginning of quarantine as like a coping mechanism or whatever. And then I just uh, prefer to stay in bed because, (laughs) hey, Taurus, sun and moon, you can't tell me nothing very fair yeah i i'm i think i'm gonna get back into it just because we're approaching 32 this year uh these bones <laughs> and joints are getting creaky i need to oil them up as best i can so yeah that that will be one the other one it was like very broad strokes i want to believe in myself oh that's a that's a, a high ask more, which is, is very high ask uh i should have just kept that in therapy uh, <laughs> to be honest but you know we're trying yeah um one thing that will definitely not be changing come see the segue is that we will continue watching TV and film and we will continue bringing that to you. So that's our joint resolution from us to you, our listeners. Um, so on that note, Jenny, what did you watch in, I guess, the weird week between last year and this year? Uh, I watched Bridgerton, like a lot of other people, I think. Hell yeah. Yeah. So I think um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a new sort of Regency period drama series. It's the first of the big Shondaland productions on Netflix. The showrunner is Chris Van Dusen, and it was produced by Shonda Rhimes, of course. Yeah, and and for for anyone that doesn't know, Shonda Rhimes signed a huge Netflix contract where she basically exclusively produces stuff for them because she felt tied back by network TV. Um, so everyone was waiting in anticipation and this was like basically the first of that. Yeah. You know, the the barrage of things I expect we will see. Yeah. So she is the executive producer, obviously, although it's, um, you know, written, directed by, you know, someone else. It's based on Julia Quinn's novels of the same name, the Bridgerton series, um, a bunch of romance novels. So the series is primarily about the Bridgerton family, of course, um, who are members of London's high society during the early 1800s. And this season in particular 
mainly focuses on the eldest daughter, Daphne, played by Phoebe Dinever, and her courtship with the Duke of Hastings, who's played by Reggie Jean Page. So first off, Pellin, um, you watched this, right? Uh, yeah, I watched the entire thing in one day. Wow. Yeah. That addictive? No. No. <laughs> it's because I think I was super curious about what Shonda Rhimes was up to. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to just kind of like take it all in so I could process it. And then obviously a part of it was, oh yeah, sure. I'll definitely like go into this world of the 1800s that isn't real life and then see what happens in this world. So it was more that. It was more just like a complete immersion. Yeah, it does make for really good... Again, sorry to keep re- using the word escapism when we talk about these shows, but this is this is pure escapism. And it was designed, I think, to be you know streamed all in one or two sittings. Like they include some little mysteries or kind of to keep you going. Like one of the frameworks is that there is this gossip columnist who writes about everyone in this high society and no one knows her identity. And so the true reveal of her identity, that's like one of the things that keeps people going. Yeah, it was not even really that I liked it so much or I thought that it was like good TV because I think I'll argue in a little bit that it was maybe lacking in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was just enough to like keep it going like there was enough in terms of the costumes and the the lush scenery and these grand mansions and and castles and and palaces and the little little bits of like who is this you know gossip columnist what's gonna happen to this couple that couple all these different sort of threads that there's so many things that there's bound to be at least one or two of them that are gonna sustain your interest throughout the whole thing yeah exactly i think the thing that kind of kept me going was um spoilers ahead by the way i thought that the main couple daphne and the duke i thought that relationship would be prolonged and they wouldn't really get together until the very end of the season but that actually came it came a lot earlier than i expected so then my uh i guess my motivation to watch the rest of the season was like so then what happens now yes the yeah. thing that the thing that you could easily have just kind of kept as a as a season finale reveal happens at like I've forgotten exactly when, but like about four midway or five. through the season. Yeah. yeah, I was also a little bit surprised by that. It sort of circumvents the more traditional story structure you would expect from a, a yeah. kind of romance thing like this. But it does create a little bit more room for a more interesting look at their relationship yeah. after the actual honeymoon period like literally after the honeymoon period so that was an interesting choice i think one of the other things that i found interesting about this series is how it handles race um so i think it's obvious if you've seen any of the the trailers or promo art or anything for this but it stars you know not just a lily white cast as you might associate with like regency or period pieces Um, But it has a few different prominent black characters who are in the nobility, including the queen herself, Queen Charlotte, the Duke of Hastings himself, like the main hunk. He's played by a black actor, Lady Danbury. She's she's black. There's this cousin of the Featherington family. She's black. There are a few other sort of like lower class or not noble characters who are also black. And then there are like sprinklings of Asian, South Asian, um, you know, kind of multicultural actors and actresses in the in the background um while the bridgerton family of course is all white um so it's this is of course like 
it might not be a big surprise for a like a Shondaland, a Shonda Rhimes production. And it's also the the latest and sort of this trend of period pieces that are embracing, you know, quote unquote, colorblind or race blind casting. Like I'm thinking of Personal History of David Copperfield, which I just watched recently, um, even shows like The Great, um, again, playing with some loose idea of history there are characters in that who are black who were you know south asian so it does seem to be a trend and i think the argument for that kind of casting is like one it is it both allows for like the the sort of fantasy or this sort of like dream of multiculturalism and two possibly it could be used for subversive means like you know we're so used to seeing you know historically just all white characters for certain periods for the sake of you know historical accuracy or whatever but a lot of those productions also ignore the very real realities of you know race and ethnicity as they existed at the time and one argument is this is a way to present the past as the present is, or this is a way to present the past in a way that it has always been, but we haven't really seen it. So they're, they're kind of these twin purposes of fantasy and subversion, um, or one or the other. And I don't know, what do you think about that, that kind of casting and this recent trend that we've been seeing of these more quote-unquote historical pieces kind of leaning towards that type of casting? Well, the thing is, I think when you decide to do that, you have decided that racism does not exist in the world that you have created, mm-hmm. right? Because if it yeah. did, then you have to unpack the entire thing and then the whole thing unravels and then you have to explain away things um, or you have to really like shoehorn it in. But if you, like much like David Copperfield, I think, and the great, the race is not called into questioning at all. Obviously, there have been arguments where this is a little bit, I, I mean, I wouldn't say like reckless, but I think a lot of people have been like, well, if you don't talk about it or if you don't address it, then it becomes willfully obtuse in a way that isn't like... It's like diversity for the sake of diversity without talking about why the diversity is there in terms of like how it fits into the plot. Yeah. Um, like, can again, be the, dangerous. the representation thing. So I personally think that if you have decided that you are going to cast people in this world that would not necessarily look like that in the world that we are in in our actual history then you have to just commit to it that's i mean that's why i appreciated the great that's why i appreciated like david copperfield i think the issue with bridgerton is that you think that they're not going to address it and that's i personally was fine with that but then they did and then i was like so what so what's going on so right so yeah so i mean to get specific about halfway through the season, you know, all these episodes that are not really addressing this at all, they it's just like part of the natural working order of their world, um, which it, I'm sort of with you, Pella, and I was like totally fine with that. But in uh, in this one episode, Lady Danbury, she's talking to the Duke, um, who she kind of helped raise, um, about the power of love. And she has these lines that really raise into question the entire sort of premise of this multicultural world or whatever she says look at our queen by that she means queen charlotte look at our king who's supposed to be king george who is played by a white actor and she says look at their marriage look at everything it's doing for us allowing us to become we were two separate societies divided by color until a king fell in love with one of us love your grace conquers all um so basically in this this one delivery it's suggesting that you know, race does exist as a concept, um, and race and racial inequities, it did exist exist in this world, but this one marriage between a black woman and a white man changed the entire course of, you know, racial relationships and um, racial inequity in this country, in this society, and in one fell swoop, 
you know, it brought brought them together. It elevated, you know, the black uh, people in this country and basically eradicated racism in that way. And the Duke, of course, is more skeptical in his response to her, which I think, you know, was included maybe to try to cast a little bit of skepticism or something at this idea. They said, he said, I believe that remains to be seen. You know, whatever the king did, he elevated us. But, you know, with the same whim, he could take this away from us in one go. So there's a little bit of that sort of yeah caveat to this. But I, still, I think that this logic just, like, does not hold internally. No, like, because the whole it's, idea. Hilar- it, it's, it's patronizing. Like, when I watched that scene, I laughed. Because I was yeah. like, you cannot be serious right now, dude. Like, yeah. we know, I mean, we know that Shonda Rhimes is, like, known for encouraging mixed race relationships and everything that she's produced and that's like a funny trope that she has but Mm. this like this felt to the point of comedy because there's absolutely no way that one marriage can undo colonialism that the british empire has you know enacted like throughout centuries it's it's just it's just comical so i i i just felt like who is this for? You know what I mean? Like because right. it can't it it can't be for those that are aware. Like it can't. Anyway, it was just yeah. it it just felt really ridiculous. And I think going back to like why it's fine that you don't mention it if you have committed to the fact that you are casting a diverse amount of actors, it it accomplishes the two things that you want from diversity on the screen, right? So you encourage people of color, all black people watching something any one of their shows and feeling like there's representation of themselves like kids can watch this or whoever it might be can watch this and feel like they can see themselves on screen and at the same time you are hiring actors of color right so you've done it like you did the diversity bit in terms of like you've done, you've played your part as a creator the whole you know explanation of racism like i think it's really important to do it in a way that's like graceful and and deft but when when it's done as clumsily as this it's like you shouldn't have just you you just like there's no point in even bringing it up yeah Um, yeah and i wish they they hadn't done so it really reveals the it tries to transcend i think the the sort of colorblind fantasy but by doing so it actually punctures that fantasy and you know renders the whole thing just like exposing the very rocky um foundations upon which they mounted this thing and i mean it besides just like the the ridiculousness of this this premise it raises so many questions like okay so if a if this happened you know if if black people in the society are raised to nobility because of this one marriage then how do you explain you know the the south asians the east asians in the background you know, how do you explain the existence of slavery in the time still while this Regency period was taking place? All this stuff. So race, interesting, um, which they had sort of left it alone and just, you know, embraced all their hot, diverse characters, um, whatever. Yeah. But... Yeah, yeah seriously, because um, everyone's beautiful. Well, most people are beautiful. Yeah. Especially, especially the Duke. Are you fucking kidding me? What a babe. Like, yeah. what is it with Shonda finding just like hotties? Like season after season, she's like, let me just find some babes for you all. Some good sustenance, some good you know? casting directors. Yeah. I think ultimately what this series is more interested in exploring on a kind of a deeper level is the idea of what it means to be a woman. Of course, it packages some form of feminism kind of thing, women's empowerment, or like kind of the, the milk toast idea of it, um, you know, with the whole idea of courtship and marriages and what a woman is worth in terms of her dowries and, you know, the the fate she's destined to to become a wife and a mother. Although it should be noted that 
there is still like one really wild and essentially a rape scene. Um, so we'll link um, a piece, but there have been a few pieces, including one at Vox, where they talk about a scene in which, you know, one character kind of violates another, um, you know, their partner's consent and um, forces sex in some way. So it's like a messy show. It tries to tackle these different themes and larger issues, but it does so in kind of a clumsy way that doesn't really succeed and even like a, a harmful way in the case of this rape scene. I think if you're going to, to look for sustenance, like, don't look to the show. Um, no. Don't look to the show for lessons or nourishment of any sort. It's in no way, like, no. it's not a smart person show at all. It is definitely, if you just want to see a bunch, like, a bunch of hot guys have sex in, like, very, like, milk toast ways for what it's worth. It's not, like, that horny. But it's there are a lot of that. them. There are a lot of the scenes. I, I think one of the good things about it is that it's just very soapy. And for yeah. that reason... It, there's like a bit of comedy there's a bit of like standard drama that you would get in any kind of soap soapy stuff if you like period pieces and you just like haven't had that you've got 10 hours of it so like yeah. get into it it like that's kind of what i liked about it was like i love a period piece listen me too i'll forever watch it i love like all the bronte shit i love all the jane austen shit there's like plenty of that in that in this yeah i mean despite all these misgivings i still watch all the episodes i did do fast forward like a fair bit again there are a lot of repetitive scenes but i wanted to make it to the end and i did and if there's a second season i'll probably check it out too Okay, so that is Bridgerton. Now for another show about young people. Um, Tell me, Palin, what did you watch this week? (laughs) So this week I watched The Wilds, which is on Amazon Prime. It's, I think, one of Amazon Prime's first, if not only, young adult series. It's created by Sarah Stryker, who is the former showrunner for Daredevils. It's about a group of girls that get stranded on an island after their plane crashes on the way to a retreat that will help them with their personal problems. And if that sounds similar, it's because it is. It's basically like lost with a bunch of teens. Um, However, there is a running mystery going through it. Spoiler alert. The plot twist is that they are subjects of a social experiment. They haven't, they didn't actually get into a plane crash. Um, Early early spoiler alert, not spoiling too much. Very, very early. Yeah, like you'll find out. I actually started watching this mainly because I found out that it was about like survivalist and then like teen girls. And I was just like, oh yeah, great. That will fill like a lost shaped hole in my heart. (laughs) Um, And then I started watching it. And despite some of my misgivings about it, it's actually pretty addictive. Mm -hmm. You also started watching it, right? What did you think of it? Yeah, I started watching it after your recommendation. I'm about four episodes in and I'm really pleasantly surprised i watched the first episode and i immediately went on to the second and then the third and then the fourth um yeah i can't wait to to watch the whole thing it's uneven in a lot of ways but ultimately i think really attention grabbing and there's enough of a a mystery and sort of thriller aspect to keep you wanting to to play the next episode yeah it's got definitely like a bingeable quality about it where you just have to hit next the way that the episodes are set up there's obviously like there's a group of girls on this island and each girl gets her own dedicated episode about where she has flashbacks from her previous life while she's sitting in the interview chair post rescue with the fbi yeah so you understand that they've been rescued so you know there's an end in sight but there's they've been through some shit 
on the island and you know that but like it, it basically weaves in their personal lives with whatever's progressing on the island as time goes on mm-hmm. so that's it's pretty nice like that like you're you're being fed two sources of information at the same time per episode which is why you can get through them really easily yeah great framework you know the all the sort of thematic connections from like past to present um really well done yeah so it's like uh, obviously the the best thing about all young adult tv show there's a cast of characters very tropey for the most part some surprises are in there we've got two uh native american actresses that are playing native american girls and in terms of like adults there's only one real adult character that is in i guess the ensemble and it's basically the mastermind behind the social experiment played by rachel griffiths yeah i'm not big on young adult drama and i think that's probably why i don't like this show completely there are some parts about it that really get on my nerves and i I think it primarily is the dialogue teen girls don't God. Teen girls don't talk like that, bro. Like I don't know that many teen girls, but I know they don't That's talk like that. Exactly. That is one of my main complaints as well. Like all of the yeah. the dialogue, it have like has like you know uses some of the right lingo. It uses like some attempts at like, but it's like it rings false. It's like yeah. So I understand having to have like lines for exposition. It I that annoys the fuck out of me as well because people don't talk in expositions, but. If you are going to deep like showcase these people's youth, like they already look young. You don't need to have them talking in like internet lingo constantly. It just felt a little bit forced. Obviously, I think they let go of that in the second half of it. But once you put that aside, um, it's actually like I think most of the characters of the girls have their own sense of um, personality that you kind of latch onto and, and you play favorites because that's what you do with ensemble casts yeah do you do you have a favorite out of the girls yeah i really like um dot or dotty she's a she's a mm-hmm. girl who she was raised in texas with her dad who ended up you know really sick and um she had a really tough upbringing because she had to take, help take care of her dad and yeah you know she's hustling care basically yeah, and yeah she's like hustling on the side to try to make money for them but she's really tough she is quick on her feet she watches survival shows handily yeah i really liked her i felt a lot of sympathy for her but also like wow what a great person to have on hand on a you know a deserted island yeah for sure the the good thing about the show is that there's like a lot of mystery to unpack Mm -hmm. and it doesn't reveal everything immediately even though some things are super predictable and you know how they're gonna go in in the cast of characters there's one girl so spoiler alert there's one girl that knows that it's a social experiment oh god don't tell me don't don't tell me who it is i'm I'm obviously not gonna tell you who it is no i'm not gonna tell you who it is but like you don't you don't find out who it is until like literally the penultimate episode. oh wow so that also keeps you going that that keeps you wanting to like play hit next and yeah. find out who it is but yeah other than the kind of uh, terrible dialogue that gets a little bit better as it goes on mm-hmm. well my other misgiving about it is that i thought some of the performances by the girls was great like the actresses are great and then some of them really weren't so great which yeah obviously when you're working with a whole ensemble like everyone needs to be at, at around the same level mm-hmm. otherwise it kind of brings a whole team down yeah um, some people are you can tell that they're very new um mm-hmm. and kind of yeah remarkably unconvincing as as yeah. any sort of character but i mean I guess they're young and there are some other good performances to make up for it. Yeah. But yeah, I, the young adult stuff that I do like, the the last one that I liked was Euphoria. Mm -hmm. And that is obviously like very dark. And this 
handles a lot of dark issues with a lot of the girls in really good ways um and then some of the girls they aren't so fully formed but other than that like everyone else they have all their own personal problems feel very real and feel like they could be happening and i think the whole point of that is to kind of showcase that like oh yeah you want you want to be stranded on on an island you think that's a nightmare no like being a teen girl is a nightmare and that's like that was a little heavy-handed um yeah but then like i guess each episode makes you empathize with that sentiment a little bit more by showcasing their stories yeah i feel Um, like oddly tender or like kind of protective towards these girls which is kind of condescending but i remember being a teen girl like a decade ago and i didn't have problems like nearly as bad as a lot of these these girls i think but it it's a lot harder and people you know you get the sort of derision of the public at large and you know grown-ups who are like oh teen girls are so stupid all the stuff they care about is so stupid you know who gives a shit but here like you were saying that it brings out these insecurities and tensions and anxieties and and like heartbreak to the foreground and it shows how it both works in a normal setting and dialed up to the max to the extreme in on a fucking deserted island setting which i thought was a kind of a clever way to show the like extendability of these issues like they don't disappear when you are landed in this extreme situation, but they're just exacerbated. And it's like the dynamics in a group of other young people more than a lot of things that will keep these insecurities and issues like thriving. Yeah, a lot of the time it is very forced. Like the the level of like conflict that's happening in terms of conflict between the girls, conflict within themselves, and then like actual like conflict of the island against you know like nature against them there were one too many scenes of people being awkwardly pushed into one another and that being like the inciting (laughs) thing and it's just like all right how many times so it, it is forced too much but at the same time you can kind of overlook it um and there's just like twist on twist on twist which is pretty cool especially with regards to the social social experiment side of stuff it's just it's just like the perfect mystery thriller type that isn't too dark it's just like light enough for me to kind of get through i was expecting from the first episode when they were kind of going heavy on the you know hell is all of us kind of thing i was expecting a little bit darker like lord of the flies level of madness um granted i'm again only halfway through but i haven't seen it come to that level yet but yeah this is this is a good show i'm excited to to keep going um with again with like all the the caveats so what's uh what's interesting is i think it got renewed for season two the same month that it got released onto amazon prime oh wow okay yeah listen it's it it's like in terms of like quality of tv it's extremely average but in terms of like having a good time and watching something that'll pass the time and then it will also make you root for certain characters and and wonder what will happen to them yeah this is this works it works really well so this week after a few weeks of not doing culture notes um i'm happy to bring it back we want to start off by talking about the ben affleck photos so i don't know if you've seen them but there were some photos released of ben affleck outside of his home picking up some duncan drink deliveries along with his mail at his front door looking just haggard as shit and totally done with everything and he's wearing a an extremely on-brand shirt that says believe in boston as he's like fumbling with these these duncan cold brews and like munchkins and listen he's a man of the people man (laughs) 
That's what this is about. Yeah. And his look, I mean, the expression in his, in his eyes is just so profoundly, you know, existentially despairing. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like the the purest encapsulation of the sad Ben Affleck meme that he has somehow turned into over the years. I, I really you love it. I love it too, but you don't think he looks better in terms of like physical? Oh, he looks great. Like his biceps he, are popping. The guns are out, man. Yeah. Like the, the veins are out. His Believe in Boston t-shirt, it's hugging the right way. He looks great. I'm happy for yeah. him. Looks like he had a good holiday season. He's been hitting the gym. You know, Anna's been like, mm, yeah, could you maybe? <laughs> but yeah, no, I love him. I love his like union worker emptiness in his eyes that he's got going on. <laughs> As you know, Dunkin' Donuts is like the official chain of Boston and also the official chain of working class America. So he's just repping the set, man. Yeah. That's like my favorite thing about Ben Affleck is that he's like, I'm Hollywood, but I'm also like, I never forget where I'm from. Yeah. He remembers his roots. Ratings to that, man. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So there we go. Th- that's our top line culture notes. And we'll drop some links in uh, our newsletter or whatever so you can see it in its full glory. Next up, Helen, you wanted to talk a little bit about some things to look forward to in the new year going along with the kind of the whole new year, new you 2021 thing. Yeah. So obviously, I think just want to preface this by saying we have actually for most of the stuff, we have no idea when they're actually going to come out. No one knows anything. I'm not going to talk about films because I think films are a little bit tough. Yeah. Um, So this is going to be for TV only. We've got a whole bunch of stuff that's coming apparently sometime this year. But um, the most, the closest thing that's definitely going to come out is One Division on Disney+. Plus. I have no idea what this is about. I'm just really excited to see my Ginger King, Paul Bettany, back in the game. (laughs) In terms of other stuff, we will be expecting the Gossip Girl reboot on HBO Max. Mayor of Easttown, which is a limited series. It's a murder mystery. It's going to be starring Kate Winslet, also on HBO. For all my, you know, Big Little Lies, David E. Kelly stands, um, if you like that, if you like The Undoing, Hulu picked up Nine Perfect Strangers, which is uh, another Leanne Moriarty book that's produced by David E. Kelly. It's also going to star Nicole Kidman. His muse. Oh my God. Nuts. She can't be stopped. Her and her wigs can't <laughs> be stopped. Um, I am looking forward to Pieces of Her on Netflix as well by my queen, Toni Collette. She, sorry, she's going to be starring in it. She didn't make it. And then if you read Station Eleven, the book, HBO Max is adapting it. That should hopefully also come come out this year. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of series that are coming back to TV. So Atlanta's going to be coming out on FX again sometime this year. No idea when. Barry, Better Call Saul, Insecure, Succession. So these are, these are the things that I'm looking forward to. There's obviously going to be apparently a million more stuff coming out. Uh, but... Yeah, let us know what you're looking forward to watching this year. But these are our very pie-in-the-sky anticipations. <laughs> cool. So yeah, like Pelin said, let us know if there are things you are looking forward to or things that you just think we should check out right now. You can, as always, email us, criticismisdead at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you should also subscribe to our newsletter on Substack so you can get our extended show notes, bonus links, embedded tweets, whatever. Um, yeah, and I guess that is it thank you so much for listening as always um feel free to rate and review us on apple Podcasts or wherever five stars only please thank you so much everyone thank you see you next week bye criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin lu and jenny ji jung our music is by rika our artwork and design are by sarah macias and andrew Liu.